How many of you have ever been desperate for a do-over? Can I see your hands? A do-over. You wanted to begin again, a restart. And one of my favorite sports to play is golf. And I like to play golf, even though golf is one of the hardest sports I've ever played. Because when you play golf, it seems like the harder you swing the club, the worse your shot is going to be. And so uh, I'm thankful that when you play golf, there's something called a mulligan. How many of you are familiar with the mulligan, right? Thank goodness for the mulligan. It, it's, a, it's a redo. It's a, it's a reshot. And uh, sometimes when you're playing in the morning, they'll call it a breakfast ball. It, the, for the first shot of the day, if it's a bad shot, you get a breakfast ball. You get a redo. I was playing golf a few years ago with my father-in-law. And uh, we were having a great time on vacation. We were playing golf, and he got up to the tee, and he was getting ready to hit his drive. And I could just tell he was feeling loose. He was feeling good, ready. And so he got up to that tee, and he swung as hard as he possibly could, and he hit a beautiful drive right down the center of the fairway. It was straight. It was high. It was looking beautiful. And we were watching and observing uh, the beauty of that ball and the flight path of that ball. And as that ball was going straight down the fairway, we also noticed that there was a bird that was flying across the fairway at the same time. And uh, we were kind of watching this take place all in slow motion. And sure enough, that ball went and that bird came and that ball hit the bird and they both fell right to the ground. And the irony of that is if you know my father-in-law, you know that he loves birds. He's very interested in birds. And so what we had to do was we had to have a moment of silence for that bird. I think we have a picture today. And so we kind of just had a moment of silence uh, for that bird. And uh, needless to say, my father-in-law, he got a birdie on that hole, okay? So um, I think we can all appreciate uh, the value of a mulligan, of, of restarting, of a redo. And sometimes you might want a mulligan in golf, but how many of you know that sometimes in life you might want to have a mulligan? Anybody realize that? And I'm thankful that there's something so appealing about a fresh start. I was reading uh, this week, I wanted to know what people were going to do for their New Year's resolutions. And so I looked on Twitter. I looked on X, and if you're ever looking for some good comedic relief, you can just look on Twitter, and uh, you can find some interesting things. And I noticed a couple of resolutions. One was, my New Year's resolution is to not eat an Oreo every time I walk into the kitchen. Uh, how many of you would say that's a good New Year's resolution, right? Um, uh, one said this, hi, friends. For the New Year, I'm taking a break from life so I can focus on social media. If you need me, you can find me here constantly. How many of you know someone like that, right? Like that, that's where they're going to spend their time. Uh, I like this one. New year, new me. I'm going to finally fix that plate thing in the microwave so it rotates the right way. And uh, what a great, what a great resolution. Now, whether you made some resolutions this year or not, I think intrinsically as human beings, we all value deep within us a new beginning. We all value a fresh start. Why is that? Because a fresh start allows us to create some distance from the past a past failure, a past mistake, and so a fresh start allows us to create distance, but a fresh start also allows us to establish a new direction for the future. Now, the reality is, is we can't change the past, but I'm thankful that by the grace of God, we can establish a new trajectory for our future, and so whether it's in your marriage, or whether it's in your parenting, or whether it's in your career or your finances, I'm grateful that God in his mercy and in his grace allows us to experience a fresh start, allows us to establish a new trajectory and a new path for a new beginning. In fact, uh, the Bible puts it this way in Lamentations chapter 3, verse number 22. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions, they fail not. 
They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. I'm thankful today that his mercies are new every single morning. I don't know what your 2023 looked like. I don't know what January 1st through 6th looks like, but I know this. It's January 7th, and his mercies are new yet again today. Is anybody at the 930 service thankful that God allows us to begin again, to experience a fresh start, a new beginning? Our God is so merciful and kind and gracious to us. The Bible, or excuse me, A.W. Tozer said this, the mercy of God is like a reset button for our lives, offering a fresh start in his love. And maybe you walked into these doors today. Maybe you're watching online and you feel as though you need to hit that reset button. I don't know what area of your life it is, whether it's physically, relationally, financially, spiritually, but maybe today you need to hit that reset button. Button. Now, we come to 2 Chronicles chapter 14, and we're going to learn about a king that experiences and really exemplifies what a fresh start looks like. When you come to First and Second Chronicles, these books in the Old Testament, they're describing in detail uh, the nation of Israel, and they're talking specifically about the different kings of Israel. And uh, how many of you know uh, the first king of Israel was a man named Saul? And uh, Saul was Israel's first king, and Saul was not a great king. In fact, Saul was almost borderline insane. And the next king in line was King David. How many of you are familiar with King David? Can I see your hands? And David was a good, godly king. He wasn't perfect. He was far from perfect. But David expanded the territory of Israel. He expanded uh, the nation of Israel and did some uh, great things for the Lord. Uh, After uh, King David, there was King Solomon, David's son. And Solomon, like David, was not a perfect man. Uh, uh, by no means was he a perfect man, but he did uh, build the temple, the place of worship for God's people. And so you had King Saul, then King David, then King Solomon. And then Solomon had a son, and this is where things get interesting for the nation of Israel. Solomon had a son named Rehoboam. And Rehoboam was a king that didn't know how to receive the right counsel. Can I encourage you that in 2024, the Bible says that there is uh, safety in a multitude of counselors. And so anytime you are getting ready to make a major life decision, I would encourage you, make sure you're getting some godly counsel in your life. You're not just going to the one friend that you already know what they're going to say, and they're already going to agree with you. You're going to go and find a multitude of counselors. Well, Rehoboam, he didn't receive the right counsel. The people were upset. They were criticizing about some taxation that was in place because of Solomon. And so they come, and they're criticizing, and they're complaining to Rehoboam. Well, rather than listening to the godly and wise counsel that came to him, he decided to just listen to his friends. And because he listened to his friends, that led to the split, to the divide of the nation of Israel. And so by the time you come to 2 Chronicles chapter 14, the nation of Israel is divided. You had the north and you had the south. You had the north in Israel and you had Judah in the south. In the north in Israel, there were 19 different kings in Israel's history. And I want you to know, I think it's important for context today, that out of all the 19 kings in the north, all 19 were evil and wicked kings. Imagine that. There wasn't one good, godly king in all of Israel, out of all 19 kings. Now, in Judah, it was a little bit better, but not much better. In Judah, out of the 20 kings in Judah in the south, there were only eight kings that did that which was good and godly before the Lord. And so doing right and following the Lord was definitely in the minority. It was definitely a rarity. It was something that was not popular. By the way, doing right rarely is popular. 
That's why when it comes to uh, what we do and the decisions that we make as followers of Jesus, we don't take our cues from the world. We take our cues from the word. (laughs) And we want to make sure that we're not just doing simply what everybody else is doing, because I want you to know that the masses and the crowds often get it wrong. And so we do what we do, not based on surveying the masses. We do what we do by submitting to the word of God. And so uh, Rehoboam, he splits the nation, and uh, uh, there, are, there are these wicked kings in the north and these wicked kings in the south. And, and uh, Rehoboam then has a son, and his name is Abijah. Now we're, we're, we're building our way to the king that we're going to be studying today. But Abijah, the Bible describes him this way in 1 Kings chapter 15, verse number 3. And he walked in all the sins of his father which he had done before him. And his heart was not perfect with the Lord, his God, as the heart of David, his father. And so Rehoboam, not a good king. His son, Abijah, not a good king. And that leads us to the king that we're going to be studying this morning. His name is Asa. Now, Asa is a king maybe you don't know a lot about. Maybe you haven't heard a lot of messages about Asa. But Asa is the great, great grandson of King David. And so Asa comes onto the scene. And the question is, is Asa going to do what his father did, Abijah, just kind of whatever he wanted and walked in sin and wickedness? Was he going to do what his grandfather did, Rehoboam, and walk in wickedness? Or would he begin anew? Would he encounter and experience a fresh start? And here's the reality. We come to 2 Kings 14. Here's Asa. He's taking reign of the kingdom, and it's his move. It's your turn, Asa. What are you going to do? Are you going to make the same mistakes or are you going to start over? And this is what I believe this morning. Everybody with me? The first Sunday of 2024, it's your move. It's your decision. Are you going to follow the same trajectory and the same path of 2023 and follow the same sin cycles and struggle with the same temptations and do the same things over and over again? Or... Will you take God at his word and experience a fresh start? And it's my prayer that we as a church would experience a new beginning, a fresh start by the mercy of God, for the glory of God, so that we can continue to reach more people with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. And so today we have an opportunity before us to begin again. Now, what I want to do today is I want to give a couple of Uh, I believe, key principles uh, to starting fresh. Uh, Just so I can know who I'm talking to today. Is anybody interested in starting fresh today? Anybody like that? I want to give a a few principles from 2 Chronicles 14, from Asa in this new beginning, and how we can apply these to our lives. And so if you're taking notes today, a couple of things. Number one, we have to start with the heart. You've got to start with the heart. Notice what our text says in verse number two. It says this. And Asa did that which was good and right and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. Now, that might not mean a whole lot to you upon first reading, but I find it fascinating that that phrase, that Asa did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God, that phrase is only used one time for all the kings of Judah, and it's used for Asa alone. He did that which was good and right. Because here's the truth today. A lot of times we know how to do a good thing, but we do it with the wrong heart. 
We know how to do the right thing with the wrong motive. I remember when I was in elementary school, uh, my brother, who's a few years older than me, he had just watched the movie Indiana Jones. And so he wanted to do everything that was in regards to Indiana Jones. And and he wanted to play with me about that. And uh, how many of you remember the uh, the moment where Indiana Jones is hanging on the rope and the ball is coming behind him? You know what I'm talking about this morning. My brother Larry said, hey, Matt, let's play that. And I will, on our bunk bed in our room, I'll hold a blanket over the bunk bed and you can hold on to the blanket and I'll swing you around like Indiana Jones. And I trusted my brother and I thought he has my best interests at heart. And so, okay. And so I grabbed onto that blanket. And as soon as I jumped off the side uh, of the bunk bed, my brother let go and I fell down and I landed right on my head. And I started crying and I started screaming. And I still remember this vividly. My brother ran down the bunk bed. He shut the door because my mom was downstairs and he did not want my mom to hear me crying. And my brother came to me and he says, Hey, Matt, he says, I will clean the room for you. I will give you candy. He started making me all these promises. And I want you to know, he fulfilled fulfilled his promises. He did clean the room. He did give me candy. He was very good to me. But how many of you know he had some ulterior motives? See, a lot of times this is what we do spiritually. We do a good thing with the wrong motive. It's a good thing to pray. But if you are praying simply for recognition or out of obligation, then you are doing a good thing with the wrong heart. It's a good thing to serve in the local church. At Rock Hill, we believe when you're serving, you're seeing, hey, we should serve the Lord and we should serve in the local church. But if you are serving just for some sort of recognition or just for some sort of pat on the back or just for some sort of reward, then you are doing a good thing with the wrong heart. And I believe that God is calling us to do the right thing with the right heart. This is what Asa did. He did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord. There was another king that came several years later. In in 2 Chronicles chapter 25, it describes him this way. It says this. This is speaking of a man named Amaziah. It says in 25 verse number 2, And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a perfect heart. Hey, let's not let 2024 be a year that we can kind of just go through the external motions but our heart is not right before the Lord. This time of year, we tend to think a lot in terms of what we should be doing. How many of you are goal-oriented or to-do list-oriented? You like to make a list and you like to have a to-do list and things to do. How many of you are like that? You like to just focus on what to do. A lot of times, our struggle is we focus so much on what to do that we neglect who we're supposed to be. And the Bible says in Psalm 46 that we are to be still and to know that he is God. And so sometimes it's not so much about what are are we doing. It's about do we understand who we are in Christ? And if we focus on a relationship with God, then he will reveal that which we should do. And so we've got to start with the heart. We've got to take a look within. Are my motives pure before the Lord? Is my spirit pure before the Lord? So you start with the heart. Then number two today, if you're taking notes, the second thought is this. Then we have to remove the weights. There are times in our lives when we need to take inventory And we need to remove the weights. Notice what it says in verse number three. It says, for he took away. Everybody say, took away. He took away the altars of the strange gods in the high places. And he broke down the images. And he cut down the groves. And so Asa, he is experiencing this fresh start, this new beginning to his reign. And one of the first things that he does is he cleans house. He says, you know what? We need to get rid of these idols and get rid of these false images and these sexual temptations. We need to remove them from our midst. You know, the Bible says in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 12, verse number one, 
Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that doth so easily beset us. And let's run with patience the race that is set before us. And so Asa identified some specific things that he needed to remove. I've been noticing recently, my daughter Liv, she's in fourth grade, and her homework is getting a little bit more challenging. And I remember when she was in kindergarten, I could help her no problem. Like, I could knock that out of the park. And now that she's in fourth grade, the other day she came in and she brought me some homework in. And uh, she's starting to do fractions and different things now. And, and uh, I kid you not, I'm reading the instructions. And I couldn't even understand what the instructions were saying, let alone the problem. I'm like, Liv, I'm not even sure what they're asking here. You know, like, go, go, go ask your mom what she thinks about this. And, and, uh, but I remember when... Uh, my kids were in kindergarten. They had much simpler homework. And uh, I brought like a, a sample sheet for us today. They would, they would have homework like this that said, identify the things that go together, right? And the first line, there's some silverware. There's a fork, there's a knife, there's a spoon, and there's a beanie hat. Now, I don't want to brag, but I'm pretty good at these kind of problems, okay? And so I would say, Liv and Blakely, and you know, what doesn't belong in that first line? The hat doesn't belong, right? It doesn't go with the other things. Can I tell you? that as a follower of Jesus, there are times when you need to take inventory in your life and you need to identify some things that don't belong. And so you know what? As someone that worships the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and someone that believes that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh and he died on the cross for my sins and he rose again from the dead and now I'm living for him and for his glory, there are certain things in my life that don't coincide with that faith. It might be an ungodly form of entertainment, it might be an unhealthy relationship. It might be some sort of addiction or addictive habit. But we have to have the ability to take a look within, especially at a new year, and say, you know, what is in my life that needs to be removed in order for me to be revived, in order for me to walk forward in the path that God has for me? Now, you might think, well, it was easy for Asa because he was the king, and he could do whatever he wanted. And if I was the king, if I was in charge, I would do things differently. A lot of times people think just because if they were in a position of leadership, if they were the boss, that then they would take a stand for Christ, and then they would do things uh, differently. Uh, but I would submit to you today that maybe it wasn't so easy for Asa to clean house. Maybe it wasn't so easy to remove some things. I'll tell you why. It got personal for Asa, because the Bible tells us in 1 Kings chapter 15, gives us a little bit more context, that Asa, King Asa had a grandmother that was actually the queen mother of Judah. She had this position of authority, and she raised up this sexual Asherah image that was used for worship. And the Bible tells us this in 1 Kings chapter 15, describing King Asa and his grandmother. It says this, And also Maacah, his mother, even her, he removed from being queen because she had made an idol in a grove, and Asa destroyed her idol, and burnt it by the brook. Kidron, talk about commitment. Like, all right, Asa, you're the king. It's your move. He's like, great. Hey, can you call my grandma in? Hey, grandma, how are you? Everything going great? Good, you're fired. <laughs> I'm destroying your idol. See, Asa had to take a stand even when it meant going in opposition of his own family. And this is when our faith often is really tested when we can take a stand even in our own homes, in the privacy of our own homes. I read an interesting study recently that said, if a child is the first person to come to Christ in the home, there is a 3.5% probability that everybody else in the house will also receive the Lord. 
if a child is first. If the mother is the first person to receive the Lord, that number goes up to 17% likelihood that everyone else in the family will receive the Lord. But if the father is the first person to receive the Lord, that number goes up to 93% probability that everyone in the house will follow the Lord. Can I talk to the fathers and to the men in the room for a moment? God is not looking for perfection, but he is looking for some men that would have some courage like Joshua to say, you know what? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Even if it means getting uncomfortable and removing some things in my heart, removing some things in my home, but removing some things in order, in order that our family can be renewed and revived uh, in this new year. The Bible puts it this way in Romans chapter 8, verse 13. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. If you just keep on doing what the flesh wants to do and you never have a soft heart and you never repent and you never come to the Lord. But if you, here's the key, through the Spirit, through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body. Mortify means to put to death, to terminate. Uh, to, to not play games with it, uh, to mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. But here's the key. He says, you want to get victory over sin? You want to get victory in this area of your life? You want to get victory relationally and physically and spiritually? Uh, you have to operate and function through the Spirit. We don't do it in our own flesh. And this is really good news today because maybe you're thinking, yeah, I've tried to set some resolutions. I've tried the Bible reading plan. I didn't make it past Matthew chapter seven last year. And I've tried to make some of these decisions and I've tried to move forward. But can I tell you that the secret to your spiritual success is not found in your work ethic. The secret to your spiritual success is found in the power of the living Holy Spirit of God. And I'm so thankful today that victory is possible. You can get victory over sin. You can get victory over lust. You can get victory over envy. You can get victory over your short temper, not in your own strength, but in the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit of God. He is available and he is working today. The only question is, are we going to submit and surrender to him and yield to him? Or are we just going to do whatever we want to do and follow that same trajectory. And so we have to have the ability to identify what doesn't belong and to remove those things. Here's a third thought today. Number three is this. You then have to commit to spiritual discipline. You want to have a fresh start that lasts? We're not just talking about getting excited on the first Sunday of the new year and the next Sunday everything's just out the window. You want to have a fresh start that lasts? You have to commit to spiritual discipline. Now, I want you to see what our text says in verse number four. If you're still with me today, would you say amen? And and he commanded Judah, so Asa the king, he commands Judah to seek the Lord, God of their fathers, and to do the law of the commandment. Very simple. He gives them a twofold instruction. Seek the Lord and submit to the Lord. Seek the Lord, pursue him, pursue him, and submit to him. Do what he says. Now, all throughout scripture, time and time again, we are commanded to seek the Lord, to pursue him. The Bible says this in Proverbs chapter 8, verse number 17. I love them that love me, and those that seek me early shall find me. Uh, this year, in 2024, at Rock Hill, we are very serious about seeking the Lord. As Asa the king has a fresh start, and he stands before the people, and he says, I'm instructing you, seek the Lord. That is exactly the heart of what we want to carry out as a church family in this year, to seek after the Lord. Today's Vision Sunday, you say, well, what's the big vision for 2024? The big vision for 2024 is to seek the Lord. It's to spend time with him. 
That's why the big thing that we're talking about and announcing uh, this Sunday is, hey, we want to, as a church, read through the New Testament in 30 days. This is not just something just because we have nothing better to do. No, this is a demonstration of commitment saying, you know what? We want to do our absolute best to seek the Lord and to pursue him and to know him at a deeper level. Now, uh, something like this takes discipline. It's not going to be easy, but I can't think of a better thing to do than to start the year completely saturated in the word of God. And so we're going to read through uh, the New Testament for all those that can join. We're going to start the Daniel fast. We're going to be praying for God to do a miracle in our midst. I want to encourage you, some of you in the room today, you need a miracle. You need God to move physically. You need God to show up for you financially. You need God to renew something or to do something only he can do in your life spiritually. And what a great opportunity to fast and to come before the Lord and to plead with God and to pray and say, God, would you do what only you can do? I want to deny myself. It's not about me, but it is all about you. And so this year, we want to be serious about seeking the Lord, submitting to him, praying and spending time with him. I read this interesting story about Wayne Gretzky recently. Any hockey fans in the room today? All right, six of you. And uh, <laughs> Wayne Gretzky, uh, the greatest hockey player of all time. And when he was 14 years old, his coach uh, was trying to encourage him because he wasn't very effective. He wasn't uh, playing that well. And uh, he was too small. He was undersized. And so his coach told him uh, one night after practice, I want you to go home and I want you to observe a player uh, named Bobby Clark for the Philadelphia Flyers. I want you to just watch him, observe him, because he is also an undersized hockey player. So I think you can learn a lot from him. And so go and watch him. And so in the article, uh, Wayne Gretzky, he said this. He said, so I studied him, I studied him, and I studied him. And I would take out a piece of paper and I would draw a rink. And then I would, without looking at the paper, I'd watch the hockey game on TV and I would take my pen and I would follow the puck and I would learn his movements and I would go where he would go on uh, the ice. And, and he was studying him and studying him and, and, and studying him. And he went on to set up uh, over 60 NHL records. Why? He was emulating. He was studying. And I thought about that. And I thought about Ephesians chapter five, verse number one, that says this, be ye therefore followers of God. The word followers means an imitator, an emulator that we're going to imitate. Be therefore followers of God as dear children. How do we do that? How do we follow God? We study him. We study him. We study him. And we don't just do it for head knowledge. We do it for life transformation. Just like the apostle Paul said, hey, my goal is that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. And I don't know about you, but in 2024, I want to know Jesus at a deeper level. And I want to experience the power of his resurrection that is available through the Holy Spirit of God. God. I'm praying that God would do what only God can do in this year. When we work, we work. But when we pray, God works. And we want to be praying and asking God for breakthrough in our midst. The Bible says this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 2, as newborn babes desire. Everybody say desire. As a newborn babe, desire the sincere milk of the word that you can grow thereby. I've heard people misquote that verse. I've heard people say and apply that verse simply to new Christians. <clears throat> if you're a newborn Christian, like a newborn baby Christian, then you should desire the sincere milk of the word. But notice that that verse does not say, if you are a babe. It says, as a newborn babe, desire the sincere milk of the word. Have you ever been around a newborn baby, an infant? They're always hungry. <laughs> They're always desiring uh, food. They, they, they always have that craving. And as followers of Jesus, 
We should be craving the word of God and hungering after the word of God and seeking the Lord. Now you might be thinking, well, I've never really felt that if I'm being honest. You might think, that sounds good. Maybe you never say it out loud, but you're thinking, I don't have a real craving. I don't just wake up and think, man, I really need to get into God's word today. Maybe you don't have that hunger. And often the reason we don't have that hunger or desire is because we are busy filling up on other things. It's just like if my son Luke comes to dinner and he's not very hungry, and I said, uh, Luke, have you eaten anything today? And he says, yeah, I've had some nerd clusters and some chocolate Toblerone, and he's been eating some candy throughout. It's no wonder he doesn't have a desire for his dinner. And a lot of times we don't have a desire for the word of God because we've been filling up on Netflix and we've been filling up on podcasts and we've been filling up on Hulu and we've been filling up on social media, on all kinds of things. Now I want to encourage you this year, commit to spiritual discipline. Commit to reading the word of God on a daily basis. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. And so commit to spending time in prayer and commit to reading his word. And this leads us to our fourth and final thought today. Do you have time for one more, Nia? Number four is this. If we're going to experience a fresh start, we have to prepare for battle. You've got to prepare for battle. Now, what's interesting is, as we're reading 2 Chronicles chapter 14, there is no battle that's taking place. In fact, if you've been paying attention, it says over and over again in this chapter that there was rest in the land. Did you notice that? Like over and over again, there, there was quiet in the land. God made it quiet for 10 years. They experienced rest. Everything was quiet. What an opportunity for Asa to be like, hey, let's just kind of take our foot off the gas a little bit. Let's put it on autopilot, on cruise control, and let's just kind of enjoy this rest. Let's just kind of maintain. Let's kind of go along to get along. Let's maintain. But I kind of tell you, it is never the heart of God for his people to maintain. It's God's heart that we would multiply. And so even in a season of rest, even in a season of quiet, we ought to be preparing. We ought to be training. Uh, see, a spiritually mature person, even when they're not in a trial, they're, they're training for the trial that they're not yet in. They're anticipating the adversity that's on the horizon. They're, they're, they're preparing for the battle that hasn't even arrived at, their, arrived at their doorstep yet, and that's what Asa begins to do. Now, preparing for battle involves two things. I want you to see it, and we'll be done today. First, it involves building. Notice it in verse number six. It says, and he built fenced cities in Judah, for the land had a rest, and he had no war in those years because the Lord had given him rest. And so in this gift of rest that God provides, and in this gift of rest that God gives to Asa, what he decides to do is he decides to capitalize on that rest and build and advance and to be a laborer. And so he starts to build. Notice what it says in verse number seven. Therefore he said unto Judah, let us build. And I like the leadership here of Asa. He says, I'm gonna build, but I'm inviting you to join with me. He says, let us build. This is not about any one person. This is not about any one position. This is about all of us coming together. Let us build. As a church, as, as a Rock Hill church family, hey, we want to build together. We want to strive together. We want to labor together for the glory of God. So he says, let us build, verse 7, cities and make about them walls and towers, gates and bars, while the land is yet before us. Because we have sought the Lord our God, we have sought him, and he has given us rest on every side. So they built and they prospered. Now, I want you to see this. Hang with me. We have just a few more minutes. Did you notice that he starts building and he starts building some specific things? He built some walls. 
In fact, it says he built walls. The last thing that's mentioned is he built bars. So he built walls and bars. The walls and bars were meant to keep the enemy out. He says, hey, we're not experiencing a battle right now, but we know battle is coming at some point. And so we better build some walls for protection. The Bible says in Proverbs 4, guard your heart, keep thine heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And so every follower of Jesus should construct some walls, should construct some bars to keep the enemy out. Ephesians chapter 4 says, neither give place to the devil. Don't even give the devil a foothold in the door of your life. Don't even give him a little bit. Build up some walls, construct some walls and bars to keep the enemy out. Hey, you are not welcome in this household. So he built up some walls. But then, did you notice he built up some towers? Now, the purpose of a tower is to be able to look and to be able to see what you would otherwise be unable to see at the ground level. Are you tracking with me today? And so to build up a tower represents the idea of having a little bit of vision, having a renewed perspective to practice the biblical principle that says, consider the end of a thing. A lot of people analyze and evaluate their decisions based on what's right in front of them. I don't see the big deal right now. This isn't gonna hurt me right now. But what we fail often to do is to build a tower in our lives to see where will this lead? Where will this go? And so today, I have this ladder. It's gonna represent a tower for us today. And a lot of times what we do is we think this way. You know, as parents, you know, what's the big deal about this show that my child is watching on YouTube? What's the big deal about this show that my kids are watching? They don't even understand the innuendos. Uh, They don't even understand some of the subtle messages that are being communicated. What's the big deal? And so we can look at it at a ground level, or we can build a tower in our lives and say, you know what, how will this manifest itself in five years? What kind of attitudes will this produce in our children in 10 years? What kind of thought patterns will this produce in the future? See, there ought to be some followers of Jesus that would build up a tower in their life to consider the end of a thing. You might think, well, hey, what's the big deal? I kind of have this habit and this online habit and nobody else really knows about it. It's not affecting anybody else. And, you know, everybody probably does this, so uh, no big deal. We can look at it at the ground level or we can build a tower in our life and say, you know what? Uh, This will actually destroy my marriage in years. Uh, This will actually harm my children. So I don't want to just look at what's right in front of me. I want to build a tower so I can see how the enemy is going to work in my future. And so we've got to be able to have the ability as followers of Jesus, if we want to experience victory, to build up some walls, to build up some bars, to build up some towers. But then did you notice he built some gates? Now, a gate is very important because without the gate, you can't leave. Without the gate, there's no in and out. And if you're going to have a thriving, prosperous city, you need to be able to have the ability to go out and to buy and sell and get gain in a farmland and to interact with other people. You've got to have a gate to go in and out. And I believe that as followers of Jesus, we have to build some gates in our lives to recognize that what we do is far bigger than what is just taking place in this room, that we've got to have the ability to go out to the highways and hedges and compel other people to come in. And so a gate represents your opportunity to go and to reach a lost and dying world, that there are people in your workplace, that there are people in your neighborhoods, that there are people that interact with you on a daily basis that need to know about the love of Jesus. And I know many Christians that are great at building walls, but terrible about building gates. Yeah, I can build a wall and I'm going to keep the bad people out. 
And I'm the first to criticize and I'm the first to condemn those people that might hurt me. Stay away. It's us four and no more. I'm going to build a wall. But have you built a gate lately? When was the last time you invited your neighbor to church? You invited your coworker to church. Hey, as followers of Jesus, we've got to build in 2024. And a part of that is building some gates so that we can go out and we can reach the lost with the good news of the gospel. Every time we leave these doors, those doors right there are gates. They're opportunities to go and to reach the lost. And so we've got to build. But then I want to quickly read how the story ends. If you're still with me today, would you say amen? Notice it in verse 8. It says this, And Asa had an army of men that bear targets and spears out of Judah, 300,000, and out of Benjamin that bear shields and drew bows, 204 score thousand. All these were mighty men of valor. So the Bible describes for us Asa's army, that he had an army of about 500,000, uh, 500, and 580,000. And then it says this in verse number 9, And there came out against them Zerah, the Ethiopian with an host of a thousand thousand and 300 chariots and came unto Mereshah. And so the enemy rises up against him. Interesting, the, interestingly, the name Zerah means rising. By the way, don't be surprised when the enemy rises up against you in your life. Don't be surprised when you're experiencing peace, when all of a sudden the enemy rises up and attacks you. And so Asa had an army of 580,000. Zerah had an army of 1 million people plus 300 chariots. Now, the 300 chariots represents the advanced military technology of the day. It would be the equivalent of someone having 300 tanks. And so not only were uh, Asa's, not only was Asa's army outnumbered, but they also didn't have the best equipment like the enemy had. But how many of you know that in God's economy, it's always one plus God is the majority. And so as long as we have God on our side, it doesn't matter if the odds are against us or if we're outnumbered. Uh, one plus God is always the majority. And so notice how Asa responds to this attack as we close. Verse 10. Then Asa went out against him, and they set the battle in array. Verse 11. And Asa cried unto the Lord his God, and so what I want to close with today is just to point out to you that when Asa had to fight his battles, he fought on his knees. He cried out to the Lord. He prayed. And notice what he says. And said, Lord, it is nothing with thee to help. I love that phrase. He's like, nothing's too hard for you, God. He's like, I know that this seems pretty difficult from a human perspective. They've got a million guys. They've got 300 chariots. We don't have any. But God, we know this isn't hard for you. I love what he does, because I think we can replicate this in our prayer life. In your prayer life, rather than focusing on the size of your problems, how about you focus on the size of your God? He says, Lord, there's nothing too hard. I know this is nothing for you. God, this is just easy for you. And then he says this, whether with many or with them that have no power, help us. He acknowledges his own weakness. God, we don't have the ability. We don't have the power. But Lord, would you help us? By the way, in your prayers, you can be honest with God. You can say, I don't know if I have the ability. I feel weak right now. But he says, Lord, would you help us? Then he says this, O Lord, our God, for we rest on thee. And in thy name, we go against this multitude, O Lord. Thou art our God. Let not man prevail against thee. Asa was more interested in God's name than he was his own name. We don't want your reputation to be tainted, Lord. We don't want men to prevail against you. We want you to get the glory in this situation. By the way, that is the heartbeat of every God-honoring prayer. It's not about me. It's all about you and your glory. 
And then notice what he says in verse 12. So the Lord smote the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled, that God provided a miraculous victory in their midst. Why? Because Asa relied on the power of prayer, and God brought the victory. Now today, as we close, it's your move. It's your decision. Will you follow the same path and the same trajectory as 2023, or will you start with the heart? Will you remove the weights? Will you commit to spiritual discipline? Will you start building the right things in your life? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes together this morning.